Lost and Sound is sponsored by Audio Technica. This year, it's the company's 60th anniversary. Audio Technica are a global but still family-run company that makes studio-quality yet affordable products. They made the first microphone I ever bought. They make stuff that I use still. They make stuff that you probably use too because they believe that high-quality audio should be accessible to all. So head on over to audiotechnica.com, wherever you are in the world to check out their range of stuff okay you are listening to me paul hampford this is lost and sound podcast and you're about to hear a conversation with la fonda Hello, and welcome to Lost and Sound, the show where we meet the innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the artists that do their own unique thing. And we talk about life and the things that inspire us to make the things that we make. Because beautiful things don't come out of a hierarchy of knowledge, but they come out of sharing. Previous guests have included Peaches, Jim O'Rourke, Chili Gonzalez, Leticia Sadier, Ghost Poet, Cozy Funny 2T, Nightmares on Wax, First and More, and Mary Davidson. And I'm Paul Hanford. I'm your host. I'm a writer and author based in Berlin. And today you're going to hear a conversation I had with singer, songwriter, producer, and director La Fonda. My book, Coming to Berlin, Global Journeys into an Electronic Music and Club Culture Capital, is up now now on Velocity Press and available in all good bookshops. And if you'd like to support the show, head on over to my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Paul Hanford. Okay, Yasmin Dubois, known professionally as La Fonda, does not believe in nation states. She's a pan-global, pan-genre singer, songwriter, producer and director, raised in Paris of Iranian, Egyptian and English descent. She's lived across the world in various cities, including Los Angeles, Mexico City and London, and she sings in English, French and Farsi. And the reason we had this conversation you're about to absorb is to talk about the dawn of everything. A song that she says was born between unlearning the past and watching the future unfold. It's dedicated to the people of Iran and the bravery in rising up after the murder of Masha Armini. There is a revolution happening right now in Iran. You know this. And I'm not going to sum up what's going on in some kind of glib hyperbole with none of the nuance, none of the lived experience that I could offer in terms of talking about what's going on or talking about La Fonda. I'll leave that to her and what you're about to hear in a minute. But suffice to say, I trust you that, like me, 
you also support and believe deeply in the rights of women in Iran and everywhere and the end to all regimes be it in Iran or anywhere else on the planet. The song, The Dawn of Everything, is available only on Bandcamp for now. And all proceeds from sales will be donated to an organization called Human Rights in Iran. I will put a hyperlink on the description of the podcast for that. Why is it important that music is a platform for solidarity and resistance? What does home mean? These are two of the things that we talk about in, in what I really feel is a very open, very frank and very sincere conversation that you're about to hear that Lafonda's words resonate across. Lafonda herself made her debut music on Warp Records in 2016. Since then, she's released two albums, Ancestor Boy in 2019 and The Fifth Season in 2020. Both are bold, adventurous, futuristic and soulful. And like I said just now, utterly pan-global, pan-genre-blurring, borderless pieces of music. We had this incredibly, well, I found afterwards, I went away and, and I took a lot in and, and I'm just going to play it now. Have a listen. Brilliant. Okay, thanks for so much for speaking with me today. How are you, how are you doing? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'm okay. It's um, okay. Very intense times. Yeah, and and um, obviously we're, we're talking today partly about what was probably very intense or a, a lot of it and uh, the song, The Dawn of Everything that you've yeah. made. And yeah. I, I was kind of wanting to know what was the sort of trigger point for you to to start right. actualizing this. Sure. Um, well, I was, I've, I'm working on a new record. I, I was working on a new record. I am working on a new record and I was... Um, kind of did a lock-in for a month in Spain and everything was happening at the same time. It was very much a bit more than the beginning of it, but I would say we were already maybe two, three weeks in. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that there is this thing that's been happening with music that I am I, very fascinated by is that when you really um, have a relationship with music in which you kind of subtract yourself from the equation and you just open the gates mm. and, you, and you have a practice where you're being used rather than yourself needing to say things, mm. um, very interesting things happen. And so I've started to make this record the seeds of it have had started already, you know, a while ago, I would say a year and a half ago, but somehow all the songs are related to what's happening right now. Mm. And that happened with my last, last record as well. There's some sort of like prophetic things that just self announce themselves. And we don't have, it's, I'm not saying that in a like mystifying way, but I think mm. it actually does happen like that. So, um, it was as if the, the record was already feeling what was coming. And so it felt very appropriate and just very on time to be together working on this record while it was actually happening, you know? Mm -hmm. So all the 
gates were very open during that time and and it informed every it informed in a, in a more i would say um that i think i think that these things happen in a way that i wasn't conscious of and then mm. when all these things happen it becomes more intentional like uh, conscious and intentional mm. and um i arrived in spain i was like thinking of all the girls all the school girls and i was like I've and I feel like they've appeared in my music before these schoolgirls. Mm. This the sort of like disobedient schoolgirl has been a sort of character in my music, I would say. Our voice that's that is very much not me now, but like I know that she's been coming in a group always. So when all these school girls, the images of the schoolgirls and the chants that were very, very poignant and uh beautiful it's so so creative there was like a new chant every every day creating mm-hmm. created in different schools of different districts and different regions and stuff there was i think now we're like in another moment of the revolution but at the time it was very much the school the school girl thing was popping popping up and mm-hmm. and a lot of people were also asking like what you know, what's the difference between all the other times before and what's the difference now? And I think there's a lot of answers to that. But one of the answers is kids. This time mm. there's kids that are part of the big part of the revolution. That's a whole different. It's very much a game changer, I, would, I, I think. But anyways, so the schoolgirls, I, I I kept saying, like, we we have to consciously make us a, a schoolgirl anthem and they have to mm. be in it. And I called friends that were that are in Iran. And I was like, just was happening on the streets every day. And I was like, whenever you can just record like the new chants that are coming out. I just want to know like what the words that it is that they use and stuff. So I just, all that to say that the record that I, something about the timing in which I was somehow gathering with all my collaborators from LA and from, from London, from New York in one space to make this record that had already started, but that was already about what's happening right now, felt very divine timing. And so the dawn of everything kind of just appeared in that moment where everything was already communicating so directly between the outside and the inside of the studio. I guess that's what I want to say. Yeah, so I'm... Do you feel like what you're saying about your kind of process and already being very kind of absorbed and very having in your subconscious of everything that's going around, yeah. is is that part of the way that you generally sort of view your artistic pro- process of having, uh, of, of you know, do, what does that involve? Does it involve kind of being open to the world or is it, is it sort of, what is the dialogue with yourself with that? I think it involves removing yourself. Mm. <laughs> In, a, in an egoic sense. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like as soon as you get out of the way, then it becomes about something else. And I, I'm definitely learning how to do that more and more. It's not, it wasn't necessarily the first thing that happened to me, but now that I tasted what that feels mm-hmm. like, it feels like I never want to do anything else than that. So the everyday work is just removing the judgments and yeah, the, the unnecessary stories we have about ourselves, making it about yourself. Just get out of out of the way. And when you're out of the way, it just comes through you when you're being used as an instrument, which is way more, I think, way more. It gives way more interesting 
results because it's in excess of the idea that you have of yourself also, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, I want to get back on to, to talking about the issue at hand in a minute, but on that note, what was, what's really fascinating is do you feel that um, as an artist yourself, it took a few albums to yes. get to this point? Like, because I, I kind of find that maybe we have a certain amount of our own lives that we have to put out into the yes. world to yes. begin with. Do yes. you, and was there a point where you kind of started to notice, I feel like I've got that out of my system, maybe? I think I think the first two EPs and the first record. And after the first record, I, I don't think I said it quite like this, but I was very clear about the idea of control, that I had had mm. so much control over the first record. It was so written, so intentional, every single, you know, breath of it. And... Um, yeah, intentional and controlled. And also even like the willingness to put it in the world when the world really didn't want it. It was all like mm. me, me against the me putting it out in the world against the world. And after that process, which was quite long, I was like, wow, definitely don't want to do that again. So I didn't I didn't really quite think about it in terms of being more of a of a conduit, but I definitely was like, I need, I need to let, let go of the control. Yeah. And the next, the record after that was me putting five people in a room for the fifth season and having zero control. And it was just all improvised. And then I went and played around with the improvisation, but it was all being a conduit. There was no, no decision whatsoever. And the yeah and then after this i was like and what i mean uh, i think the dawn of everything is a very beautiful example of this because i haven't i haven't talked about the process of the song at all Mm. yet because i just because to me that was not as important or it wasn't about me and my process in the moment it was the song needed to be out and i wanted to collect money for it which i still am by the way from um on Bandcamp. All the proceeds are going to like a human rights organization that is doing fantastic work on the ground uh, with political prisoners and um, kids and a lot of amazing things. But so I was I didn't really said what happened with the song, but what happened with the song was that we um, had an instrumental from Hapa. Yeah, like the instrumental that you hear behind my Mm. voice in a pack and we all heard it. He wasn't with us, but we heard it one night. And I wanted to write something slower because I had been working on like very energetic songs. And mm. Cecilia and I were like, oh, okay, great. This one, that's it. And then s- slowly started thinking, just talking about stuff. And I- I've been also reading this book called The Dawn of Everything, which mm. I don't know if you're familiar with the book. I don't, I don't know this book. No, I'm, I'm oh. always up for a good recommendation though. Oh my God. It's... um. Part of the reason why I called it like that is because the title is beautiful and it me- it's meaningful. And another part of why I called it like that is because I want everyone to Google it and fall into the book and be intrigued and buy it. It's a it's a life changing book that is rewriting the re. It's a new suggestion or a new read on the history of humanity that is based on more recent archaeological archaeological finds. Um, mixed with David Graber, who's more like a sociologist. So it's a sociologist and an anthropologist who they just uh, rewrite another possibility of the the human history based on very um, 
very concrete findings. Um, it's just that usually archaeology and uh, pop culture don't really interact with each other. So a lot of mm. the findings just stay remote from us. They don't really have an incident of our life and how we perceive um, how it can change the his the course of history or what mm. the ideas we have. But like they're really making it in a very popular way accessible in in and it kind of redirects the trajectory that we have about like uh, a lot of preconceived idea that we all have about uh, the sort of like original society or how once everything was in this way and then everything switched or mm. when we say all oh, human beings are so bad or <laughs> they're so horrible we were always at war or patriarchy has already always existed or capitalism mm. had always existed there is this destroys all these quite you know, pessimistic ideas that we all share about our history. And it's offering something way more complex, way more beautiful, way, way more mind-blowing, way more with way more curiosity and way more possibilities. And it's really a book that I suggest everyone. To me, it's like the new uh, Bible. It's my new Bible for sure, because it it's Uh, it's informing our future also how we even imagine it mm. um it really opens a lot of uh very beautiful possibilities so anyways that's a parenthesis but the song the way that the song came about was just starting uh, to pull a thread thinking about how revolution happened and kind of like what is the what makes it that something becomes ideas that are fermented by a few people to mm. a moment where everybody gets to a point where they are risking their lives. And we talked about the imagery of that, but it's not that I decided to write a song about Iran or anything. Iran was just in the room for mm. with us every single day. I was crying and talking about it all day while making the music, you know, but this sort of image started coming and then all these people started being with us in the room. Mm. Like Leonard Cohen is in the lyrics. And then Ochalan, who's like the, the sort of uh, political leader of the Kurdish movement. We started looking at phrases that he said, and then that ended up in the song. And then we started listening to like liberation Kurdish songs that also ended in the song. Like, so many people were with us and it just happened very quickly like just seamless like it was very seamless um and we just wrote and of course like uh, a lot of like classical indian uh, singers were also in the song with us so it was as if like there was an army of people just surrounding the thing that we were putting in the world because it's been happening way before us and because it's mm. going to happen way after us and but we just As it was happening, Cecilia and I were like, it was just, we weren't really, you know, you just do it, but it, we just, it just happened very, I don't know, like a one gesture. And after the song came out, we were like, whoa, like we're definitely not alone in the room, you know? And the mm -hmm. next day um, we asked uh, Hapa, like, hey, we, you know, we wrote something on your, on, on this instrumental. Can you give us the session? We want to maybe like change things and also what is it like and he was like oh I'm so sorry there's no session for it it's um 
he was like, it's a song from Meredith Monk called Dark Slash Light. First of all, the title. Then second of all, Meredith Monk. And he was like, it's, I basically took the song and I stretched it and restretched it and restretched it and restretched it. And I have no way to go to pedal back. And it is what it is. And so we listened to this. So first of all, I, that was one more person that was in, in the room with us when we, while we were writing it without us knowing. And then we uh, listened to the song uh, the next day after we finished our song. And the song starts with a lone whistler, which is the lyric, one of the first lyric in our song. It's like one person whistling. Sounds like they're whistling on top of a mountain, which is literally the lyric of the song. So that's the type of thing I'm talking about. Is like mm. when you remove yourself, a lot of very, very, very beautiful and reinforcing things happen. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a, a principle that I grasp. I don't always remember to grasp it, but I know that when I have times in my life when I have used that principle of kind of letting go and, and, and kind of like trusting and, and removing myself from the equation, things always happen. I, I think as an artist, you've always sort of I've, in interviews always read that you've used techniques of different kinds of techniques to kind of bring about ideas and, and how important is it for you to get into a kind of flow state to kind of create the environment around you to to make music i don't know about techniques i think mm. i think i think more about it in terms of process yeah than techniques i am very interested in shaking up the process every time i make music because that is also how you don't get in the way of yourself into the because because there's no comfort. As soon mm. as you start being familiar with something, it's very dangerous. I find it very dangerous, you know, because with with that comes a certain, oh, I know how it goes, or, mm. or I, I know how it is. And that to, for me and my in my in my music doesn't produce very interesting things. So it's more that I create different contexts every time. And the context is very, very important for the flow. For for sure. It's like vital. I'm definitely not an everyday musician. I don't create every day. I don't really create for free. Mm. Like I'm not someone who, at, which, you know, is a beautiful thing. That's probably how you also get better at things, but it's not at all how it works for me that I just sit and be in a studio a few hours every day and just write music for the sake of writing music. That's also why Sometimes I'm like, I don't think I'm a musician because <laughs> I, I, I feel like it's something else about, it's something else with me. It's like, it's music the same way that it's filmed, the same way that it's, you know, mm -hmm. now I'm working on an opera as a director. It's like, it's not really about the music itself. It's more being a conduit for, for something else. And sometimes it's through music, but um, the process, yeah, the process is very um, important. The setup. And the sort of, because it's like as if you're making the game, the rules for a new game every time. Mm. And then that makes the game so much more fun. Yeah. There's no rules. That's kind of how I see it. And then I guess it's like once you've set that up, is it's just having, it's having the trust in yourself and the people that you're collaborating with that you can function and, and let whatever happens yes. within that. Yeah, exactly.
Yeah, and and yeah, about about um, Dawn of Everything as well. Because I think it's there's there's a really sort of when I listen to it, there's a sort of incantation kind of feeling about it, and there's almost like a hymn feeling. You know, I mean, different parts of the world have their different ways of expressing similar kind of intentions, really. And um, I wanted to know what how you feel music can make a difference to a situation like this in the world, you know, what power does music have once it's left you and once it's left there in terms of other people's lives? Mm. I think that in all, it's funny, I was I was literally reading a few pages of the dawn of everything before we talked, because I'm, I'm moving very slow with this book because every mm. few page is a whole, I need to like digest for, a, a yeah. week, you know, but um they were talking about how uh, we've kind of exaggerated in modern times our differences and that a lot of very bad things has, ha- has happened to us in, in uh, c- consequence of the differences that we see in each other, which is, you know, gave birth to genocide, to <laughs> imperialism, to slavery, to, to a lot of things. But they're saying that, in fact, there's very little differences between us. And they're talking about a time where indeed archeologically they found stuff and they were like, there was a time million years ago that where we were really different. It probably was a world where there was giants and fairies and like that sort of different, like really Mm. like different. And also that we were the line between like animal and human was way more blurry. So, we were really different and they're, and they're, and they're saying like, at the, yeah, that we exaggerate these differences and that we actually are literally very, very, very similar. And one of the things that the example that they give is that the, there is no culture on the planet that doesn't have dance and music. Mm-hmm. And I guess I never really sat with that, but I think that you need to be, a, because, because that's something we have in common all over the world and in 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 the moments where there is reckoning and when there is big communal you know movements and revolutions there's always words and and melodies that need to be shared mm. like a very uh natural thing that has always existed i mean to be honest there's always music with any part of the of our life you know mm-hmm. we have we have music for when we're born we have music for when we die and there is music for when we say no mm-hmm. and when we risk our lives there is a genre of music that that exists in, in in i think everywhere really so for me in that moment i didn't really think about it you know yeah. i just i it just came out of me and then once I recorded it, I had a really hard time recording the song, if I'm going to be honest, because I was just like it was making me cry. Yeah. So I had a yeah, I felt. But then, of course, I also like was like, why are you crying? There's people that are like literally risking their life. But I just mm. it wasn't like a, out of sad. It was many things, you know, it was yeah. like, it was a very emotional song to record for me. But as soon as I recorded it, I was like, my album's not ready. Um and the idea that this song would come out in a year or something felt terribly wrong. It was just, I just needed that to be in the ears of everyone going through the same thing because to me, 
and it again it's not something that I thought about and then did but once I did mm-hmm. it I was I just I wanted to the song to bring some sort of uh warmth and um shoulder that's kind of how I, I think of the song like uh it's not I think it's a song about revolution or it's like a revolutionary song but I think that there is different um states that we're in there there the state of being in the street there's this the the state of chanting but there's also the state of 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 uh needing to be held and needing mm. to be heard and needing to be loved and needing to know that we're not alone and that we're actually part of like a whole lineage and human history that has made things move forward from very dark places and mm. i think that's kind of how i imagine the song and then but you know, I don't. I'm no one to know what what it can, what the difference can be. But I know that a a lot of people, you know, reached out and they felt that it was they needed to hear it. They needed to hear that they were heard. They needed to mm-hmm. know that we that also people from the outside know that it matters. That they're singing back to them. It's also a gift. It's an exchange of energy. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, it's a beautiful thing, and and it, it, I mean, I think music has always been there at the at the heart of every protest movement as well, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. But I think what's really beautiful about what you're saying that I'm picking up just at this moment is that when you sort of talk about it being like a kind of a, a sort of a touch on the shoulder or a sort of like a a warm connection, because quite often protest music and does need to be quite often to be more of like a kind of galvanic. Yes. A galvanizing call to arms, whereas yeah. this is more like there is a call to the call to arms is already going on. So exactly. maybe this song acts as more of a uh, a comfort for people. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I understood it once it was done. And also we talked a lot about the fact that this is just in a way it feels like we're in the thick of it. But in fact, it's just the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, and at this point, for example, I personally have zero doubt about the fact that this is the end of this regime. Um, my fears and uh, yeah, my 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 fears are more about how many lives it's going to take, yeah. and also uh, what's going to happen after, which is very very exciting. It's also very exciting, mm. very beautiful. But uh, the path to freedom is is a, is just it's not a it's not an event freedom is not an event that we get to and then it's done and i think mm-hmm. for all of us it's very important to um realize this i think i think we do sometimes you know when there is a sort of basic freedoms that are taken away especially as a woman i think with like you know the rights to our bodies and decide what we want to do with it we see it in the us and mm-hmm. But still, I don't think we're like informed or that we feel it enough that we understand that we actually should all fight for it literally every single day of our life. And I think the sort of blueness or or more humble feeling that there is at the end of the song, not not quite blue, but not triumphant Mm -hmm. when it says freedom will come. It goes into another space that's more reflective and more inward instead of being like freedom you know Mm. you know it was something that's way more inward because there's a lot of work because this is just the beginning Mm. and and the the, 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 one of the slogans that sort of really 
of the movement that's really core is the we are all Mazza slogan. And and I was wondering if, if that what that means to you. Wait, which one is it? Uh, uh, the we are we are all Mazza. Oh, we are all Mazza. Yeah. I mean, it you know, it's mm. I guess that it's all I mean it it probably means many things and I'm I'm not really well read about how people have been using this particular slogan but what it tells me is the interconnectivity of everything mm. you know yeah there's so many things to say about that mm, masha is there has been so many mashas also mm. before before this one came to our ears or became what it became and um Definitely all women in Iran know that that's uh, potentially something that could happen to them. And for all the men to say that it has also another, there's been a very beautiful uh, sort of like back and forth slogan between what men say and women say in protest that I've been very, very inspired by. But it's just uh, that it's all interconnected. And if you touch one of us, you, you, we, we feel, we feel like we have to, you know, that, that any person who dies, um, and Masha, of course, or Gina actually started, started this, uh, this movement in this case that they're all our martyrs and, and, and that we, that, that this, that if you touch one of us, you're touching all of us. That's what it means for me. Mm. And yeah. And, and again, talking about what you were talking about, your process as well, that the, the whole idea that we're all interconnected as well. And do you feel that that's something that has movements like this show that we are all interconnected? And a couple of years ago, COVID also in a different way showed that we're all interconnected. And um, But do you think like, you know, in modern kind of more capitalist society, but it's been more of the tendency to sort of take that view away from people that to make us yes. feel that we're all individuals absolutely and specifically the history of this particular regime has kind of atomized uh you know the different peoples that make this place of you know i mean i i personally am not really a nation state uh, lover at all Mm -hmm. but but we have we have a common history and we've shared uh, a space together in iran and i think this particular regime made it very difficult for people to feel interconnected you know they've mm. they've kind of there it's been part of like their you know machine of uh of lies to make people feel like oh these people don't like the kurdish they are separatists and the baluchist and like they give you these problems and they kind of turned it a lot of people that have a common history and that have mm. shared um empathy and life together they made them very atomized Mm. Um, so to me you know it's a very 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 important and interesting thing that what has happened and what is responsible for what we see on the street has kicked off in Kurdistan Mm. of major importance um, because there is a very strong culture of uh of freedom movement in all the like you know the Kurdistan that are separated in the four countries between the four countries and um they have been fighting back they have been fighting back all corners so the fact that it started there and then spread it also puts puts everyone on the same um at the same level and it makes people care 
It's like mm. it's, now you have you have to you have to look at the fact that it started in Kurdistan and Kurdis like what's happening between the regions of Kurdistan and Baluchistan where they're also getting harassed and then they come together. There's been also really beautiful scenes of um, like more like mountain tribes that have uh, where it's like uh, like different sort of ethnicities that. Uh, have come together in the past few weeks and like shooting guns and be like, and being like, we're at war and we're coming together mm. against the common enemy. There's been a, a lot of, and I think I'm not very, very well versed in the history of Iran, but what I know and what I'm learning also, because I'm learning a lot since all of this started is that there's a lot of uh, coming together and and really 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 feeling that if you're killing someone in a region afar that we may be in Tehran before weren't really paying attention or or we were led to believe that these people don't even want to that they're not really part of our culture that we, like you know there's obviously been so much discrimination in the his his in the history of Iran against the Kurds but also different regions mm-hmm. that um, right now I think feel like the revolutionary spirit is 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 erasing that or not erasing it but it's 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 making people come together i guess you yeah. know in a way that they can't that the government can't get in in the way of that even though they've have done a, a very uh aggressive campaign in the past 45 43 years yeah uh, and and as as a person that ha- is part of Iranian yourself, mm-hmm. um, is it re is it re lit or re changed how you see that part of yourself? Or, so much, um, yeah, it's been extraordinary. Actually, um, I've had always kind of a co- complicated relationship. I mean, I've I have the roots are very strong in me. I've I've lived there when I was a child with my my mother from like one to six years old. Mm. Um, I've kept a very strong relationship. We've been back every year of my life. Like, so I I'm definitely way more lucky than many others who are like completely cut off for you know most of the time political reasons. By the way. Uh, from 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 that place, so I I'm very lucky in this way. But at the same time, I've always had a very difficult relationship with it because because I also never felt like I belong. You know, there's there's very I would say strict sort of cultural codes that, especially when you live abroad. About uh, of course, it's related to class as well. But in in the sort of like class environment that I grew up with, which, uh, you know, my yeah, my mother is like sort of my family's mother is more like a, I would say cultural elite, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there is like a ways that all these kids um, they were all like doctors and they were lawyers, and you know the girls and the boys they had very very specific and stiff gender roles that mm-hmm. I never felt comfortable with, you know, and the girls were always like with long hair and so girly and the boys were like, had muscles. And were, like, I mean, I always like looked, even as a teenager, I was like, I just thought it was retarded. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't um, feel like I had, and I didn't really suffer from it, but I was like, I don't, I don't know what this like Kabuki theater is. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I, I'm, 
I don't, I never like, I never met anyone that felt like close to me that I could relate to where I was like, you're also Iranian. That, that started happening way later in my life. And um, I think because of that, there's been sometimes sort of like, yeah, like feeling detached from it. You know, and I also haven't been back the past seven years for the first time of my life. I haven't been for so long because the last time I was there, I lost my grandmother. So there's been a uh-huh. long period of grief and kind of re- realigning what my relationship with the place is now that I don't have my mm-hmm. grand, you know, my grandparents to go visit and stuff. So I've been feeling really homesick already for like a few years now but also kind of floating in something that's not really anchored in me and I think that the past two months I I just it it just sank in me how much of that place is in in my cells you know and I think sometimes it's easy to forget those things when 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 it comes with trauma or when it comes with not feeling accepted we could just put it on the side and pretend that it's not as strong or it's not, you know, (laughs) and I think it's been a really, yeah, a very strong reminder of how much it, like I was kind of shocked of how impacted I've been Mm. on a, of course, on a human level, you you are impacted by seeing horrific things done, but like at another level, I'm like, Oh, okay. That's, there's something there that I wasn't predicting happening. And the other very beautiful thing that's been happening. And I think that's, for a lot of us outside of Iran is that we're also connecting with each other, mm. you know, in, and like, I just played a show in London at, uh, at the South bank center, which was organized by a group of Iranian that put this concert together. And after the concert, we just had a drink and it was like, everyone was this cry because we were just like, we've mm. never been with that many Iranians that are our age that we like have so much to share with. We just, we didn't, we didn't find each other until now. And this, this movement is also helping all of us to like see each other and be like, Oh, you're over there. Whoa. And you're doing this thing. And like, we're all like popping out of our little, (laughs) you know, isolated huts all around the world. Um, I'm talking more about like European diaspora, of course, but Mm. um, there is a sense of belonging that I think a lot of us were like longing to have, but we were all dispersed and atomized. And a lot, and a lot of us have, are struggling with the, with the feeling of belonging because, because there are quite strict rules, you know, and, 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 and the people that I like don't fit in them either. So there was a lot of lost little children of the world that are just like, I don't, where, where are the other freaks? basically that's the question you know and and we're finding each other which has been such a huge relief and honestly i'm like so grateful that in the midst of horror there is obviously so much also so much joy always otherwise revolutions can't happen without this you know they can't happen without all the joy and all the beautiful things that happen Mm. on the side of them or at the same time they 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 have to coexist otherwise people don't go and risk their lives so we're benefiting from that in a very i'm very very grateful because that's a something that we on the outside are are very much feeling strongly what it does to us and it's irreversible 
Once, once you find the other freaks, you're never going to let them go. <laughs> <laughs> so it's this beautiful feeling of being seen, whereas before everyone may have been in plain sight, but weren't being seen. And you've lived in lots of different cities and different parts of the world. And, yeah. and there's this kind of feeling what you're saying about kind of like finding the freaks, you know, yeah. it's like, um, so your idea of home, home becomes something else, doesn't yeah. it? Home becomes, home becomes like a community of people that could be from anywhere in the world, yeah. do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I always said that my music was designed to find the others. And I still really feel like that. And when it works, it's just the most magical thing in the world. And yeah, that is definitely home. But I also have to say that having the experience of, you know, I've, of like singing for a crowd where things land in this way. And I was like thinking about like being a country singer and, and having a massive show in Nashville or like belonging to a place and singing to the place, to the people who feel like they belong to the same place. I've literally never experienced this in my entire life mm. because I'm floating. It's like, I've, I don't know what, like, I don't know where, that, what, what that would be like, even, you know, like, I don't, I don't make a genre specific music. Mm. So that can't be home. You know, if I was a rapper or if I was like a singer up, op, you know, opera singer, mm. then that would land in the specific space in a specific context. But I don't have that. Uh, I do, you know, I just, I never, yeah, I don't know. I never had this experience of like uh, a lineage or like singing for for a group of people where I'm like, oh, this is, they're listening and like, I feel mm. heard and seen um, in this way. And the show at South Bank Center, I mean, it was just two songs. Um, mm. I sang the Dawn of Everything, of course. And then I sang an acapella from a very, very dear, important um this folk singer called Sima Bina, who's a very close friend of uh, my grandmother. And she's kind of the reason why I started making music. And she's kind of like a musical anthropologist. She's been going in the region where my family comes uh, with, with the border of Afghanistan. And she's been gathering all the songs that were never recorded, you mm. know, that, that have been passed on from villages to villages in an oral way. And then she was formed this sort of like a female uh, ensemble and recorded a lot of the songs. That's like, it's, so she's had also like sort of, yeah, and, and a historical and anthropological approach to it. But I sang one of her songs that's just like this, you know, folk, folk love song. But of course, in the context of a revolution, it the lyrics kind of took another meaning for everyone. But I just sang it a cappella and, after one sentence, like everybody like stood up and started singing with me, mm. you know, and like clapping and like, I've never experienced this, you know. Well, that's a, that's a, that's an experience of home, surely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for being so open and honest and, and, and talking about what I know is, is a difficult thing to talk about as well. So I really appreciate that. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Thank you. Lafonda, Yasmin there for for talking about something that is so difficult to talk about and um, something that 
involves other people as well as as well as uh, many 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 other people as well as herself um but also for being so damn fucking inspiring as she said we have music for when we're born we have music for when we die and we have music for when we say no the dawn of everything is available only on bandcamp for now and proceeds from sales will be donated to the organization human rights in iran there is a hyperlink you can click on in the podcast description there. Thanks to ESO for doing the music you hear at the beginning and the end of every episode. Lost and Sound is written, produced, presented everything by me, Paul Hanfords. And the fact that I can do this every week bring guests that I feel are really, really important in many different ways to your ears every week is because I have a sponsor, because I'm lucky enough as a, as a full-time artist, I'm lucky enough to have uh, something to roll me financially to do this. And, and that is a company that I actually really, really, really have always used myself, always been part of my musical when I was making music and my audio repertoire. That is Audio Technica, makers of high quality audio accessible to all cartridges, microphones, headphones, wherever you are in the world, check out audiotechnica.com. Oh, I am absolutely tired. This is the third time it's taken me to record this little bit at the end. My, my SD card filled up and I couldn't work out why it wasn't recording but that is a really really boring thing to put right at the end of such an inspiring fucking conversation isn't it so I'm gonna I'm gonna just go now I've missed I've missed my my last coffee train the time I can safely have coffee in the afternoon that's not a real train that's just uh you know um so I'm gonna have something that doesn't involve coffee but is hot I hope you really really do take care and and I'll speak to you soon